All right. What's up, everyone? Welcome back here to the Lure Lab. We have another awesome episode coming here today for you here on the Serious Angler Network. As always, I am your host, Andrew Full, and today we are diving into the world of balsa. This is an episode that I've been trying to figure out and plan for a while, and I got a hot tip from a buddy over in Eastern New York around Syracuse region, um, fishes Oneida Lake a lot, TJ Dobbs. And he's like, you got to get Phil Hunt on a pH custom lure out of Indiana. And that's exactly what we did. I reached out to Phil, asked him if he wanted to come on the show. And uh, we got him down here in the queue. And I'm extremely excited because a lot of people don't realize how important it is to have balsa baits in your box. And I'm not saying plastic baits are bad. But everybody should have a little bit of everything in their box to catch more bass and to be more efficient while they're on the water, especially if you're a tournament angler. It's something you should pay a lot of attention to, to how the fish are reacting. And yeah, I, I just want to get Phil on. It's going to be an awesome episode and dive right into balsa baits and crankbait fishing in the spring and summertime. So without further ado, Phil, how's it going today? That's good. It's hot, but it's good. It's not hot and sweaty. Hot and sweaty, like 90 today. It went from yeah. winter to summer in four days. It's funny that you mentioned that. Like, I was talking to my wife a couple of days ago. I go, We actually had spring this year. Usually we go straight from like 30 to 80. And yeah. we went from like 30 to 40, 40 to 50, yeah. 60s for like a month and a half. And now we hit 90 here as well today in New York. And it was blistering out of the water like yeah i don't I think i've ever sweat through a sun shirt but we had zero wind and bright sun it was yeah. awful <laughs> i know our water was stuck in the low 60s for like a month here and then yesterday i was fishing yesterday i go out in the evening a lot just two or three hours because i live close to the lake and i saw 80 degree water yesterday and i'm like holy crap it went, it went to summer quick is that pretty early for 80 degree water? Uh, no, it's probably normal. 75 to 80 here this time of year. It just took it a while to get there. It got warm and a bunch of fish come up and spawned and then it turned cold and the water fell back down into the 50s for a few days and they pulled off and our spawn has kind of been a trickle. Seems to me like, you know, Smalley spawned and got it done real quick with the large mouth. It's like every week, it seems like there's a new wave. When you run the banks, you'll see, you know, not the big deal like you usually have. It's just kind of been drawn out now for two months maybe one here two there yeah, uh, yeah. still catch them with eggs in them they look like they're going to blow up and some of them have, their tails are healing so yeah i'm sure that's going to be over now that the water's 75 80 yeah. degrees so yeah. they dropped them and got out of there in a hurry so yeah. but before we keep rambling on here you know balsa baits you own ph custom lures you're the one probably turning most of these baits i would assume what made you want to start building balsa baits right off the bat what got you into it well i'm a, I'm a little older i'm 58 and i grew up uh everybody i knew back in the day was throwing bagley's and you know i have i actually have a lot of old bagley's and i was always like enamored with the bagley square bills and they didn't have the flat baits and stuff but I live in the Cincinnati, close to Cincinnati in Indiana. I live 45 minutes away. And you've got guys like Rick Schreiber, who does the laser lures. And you had Wes England that does the, the wee baits. Everybody knows what they are. So I actually grew up fishing with all these handmade balsa baits. And and, and to be honest, uh, I've always fished tourneys. And I, I can't remember not fishing. And I, uh, I got tired of buying baits like and opened the package. And you couldn't tune them, you know. And they, they see, some of them wouldn't run right. And I thought, you know, what would... I wanted to, I wanted to get in and build balsa baits and I wanted to make sure that they're all tuned. You know, we tune all the baits, which is, is a, a really kind of a pain sometimes, but that way I know they all leave here. And uh, I custom painted for a lot of people and a lot of the pros, you know, I was a medic for 20 years and I did that. And then Bill Lowen is my best friend. We're like brothers. And me and Billy were talking one day and he's like, well, why don't we make a balsa bait? So we literally started in the corner of my garage with knives and files and fingernail files and a bandsaw. And we just started making little square bills and stuff to play around with and painting them. And he showed some pros. And uh, next thing you know, I start selling them and I had no business cards, no website. And I worked every third day as a medic and it got where I was killing myself. And so one day after 20, almost 20 years in EMS, I just walked out. And I've been doing it ever since I found a guy who's I could I mean, I got a guy who makes my website and 
He's been doing it for years, and he does it mostly for baits. He's got the biggest pH collection in the world, I'm sure. Oh, I'm and, sure he does. Yeah, he does all my work, you know, because it costs thousands to have a website maintained, and all he ever wants is baits. And uh, I got introduced to a lot of writers and editors, and uh, next thing you know, I got guys coming to the shop and writing about my stuff, and uh, yeah, I don't even know what to say because I never ever even envisioned it. So. Yeah. You know, sometimes the best things happen to those who just take a chance. It yeah. sounds like taking a chance and building baits with Bill Lowen in the corner of the garage with some yeah. files. Uh, it sounds like it's yeah. work, and now you have this elaborate manufacturing place, right? And that's kind of like a sweatshop, it seems like, because it's so hot in Indiana. But <laughs> Yeah, our shop is actually little because... I've had so many writers here and I actually had a, a photographer here from people magazine that a, a magazine company had sent here. So this guy comes in from Iraq and he flies to my shop and he walked in the door and he's like, God dang, I thought this would be bigger and fancier. And I'm like, no, we really literally do most everything by hand. And, yeah. and same, same way. The first time the Bassmaster guys were here, you know, the writers, two of them came and they're like, we had no idea. We thought this was, but I think that's what makes it cool is, uh, had the same people work for me forever, you know, and uh, I'm down to one guy right now just because it's hard to find help. But Josh cares as much about the business as me. And I know that I'm sure that sometimes a bait will get out that maybe is not exactly how I want it. And anybody that calls me, I, I take care of that immediately. But we try to make sure that every single bait gets attention and it's tuned and they run perfect and how they should be. Yeah. And, and, and they're American made. I'm a patriot. I take a lot of pride in the fact that I use it's all American made components. You know, the hooks obviously aren't made in America, but everything I try to do American made. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. I love it. So you mentioned tuning a bait, which we're going to ask that question here as we go. But mm -hmm. I kind of want to dump jump right into it. Right. Like everybody goes to the store and they see all these fancy labels on the shelves like Strike King, Six Sense, mm -hmm. Mega Bass, like. And these are a lot of these are plastic baits, and some of these companies will dabble in producing mass producing balsa baits like a Rapala, right? Like original mm -hmm. Shad Wrap and DT mm -hmm. series are mass manufactured balsa. But can you real quickly dive into just the main differences between plastic and balsa baits? Um, I, th I think the big difference between uh, balsa and what well, balsa and plastic, and, and I've always thought this. Since I was a kid, I've all, and when we were, we used to wade the river and fish for smallies, and we would throw little balsa honeybees. Remember those? The little oh, bit, yeah. and the smallies just kill them in the creeks and stuff yeah. here. And and uh, we would throw little Gilmore jumpers and stuff in the creek. And I've, I've always felt like that wood baits just catch them better. And I know there's going to be some people who are going to cringe, but they uh, like I, I know for I, I know it's a, it's a, it's a fact, and I would argue this with anyone. If you're going down the bank and you're throwing at, at wood, a balsa, a balsa square bill comes through the wood better than any plastic one. And I'll argue that with anybody. The buoyancy is there. If you, if you get hung up, you know, you can pop the line. They're more buoyant. They come free. And they just don't hang up as much. And I'm not saying they never get hung up because they do. If you're fishing them right, you're going to get them hung up. Mm -hmm. But I just always have really thought that, you know, everyone has its own personality. They're all a little boy, more buoyant or less buoyant. And the, the, the wobble might be a little different. And, You'll find one, you have three that look just alike, and one will really, really catch them, and you save that one and take care of it. But I, uh, and I'm not, and, and I like, I carry a box of, of RC, you know, like 1.5s and 2.0s. I throw them like around riprap and stuff a lot because, you know, from throwing the balsa is not nearly as durable. Right. If you throw it against a dock or you throw it up on the rocks, you might tear it up. But to me, there is nothing like throwing a balsa square bill or a balsa flat bait. You know, the flat baits are great in the winter. I just, I just convinced you get, you get more bites on them. And there's an awful lot of pros agree with me because I saw a lot of baits to MLF and elite series pros. Yeah. I think the only one that's kind of come close in my opinion on like a plastic side would be like a Fritz side for a flat side crankbait, mm -hmm. but it's still plastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never very... thrown one, but a lot of people do. I mean, yeah. yeah. They're not bad. I got a bunch of them. And uh -huh. when the water is like 42 to 51 degrees, I find that's when that bait really excels. But mm -hmm. I do have a collection of flat-sided balsa baits that I will throw at the same time and catch just as many fish. It just depends on what the primary predator is in that lake. If there's a bunch of pike, I try to throw the fritz side out instead of 
the high dollar balsa baits because I don't exactly. want to lose them yeah. when I lean into a fish. I'd rather lose the $9 crankbait over a $25 crankbait. So, but before I want to digress here real quick, because you mentioned that baits have different wobbles and they all have their own interesting characteristics to them, even though they may all look exactly the same. And my only question is that, is that because it's a different cut of wood or different part of the wood? And is that why it makes those baits swim a little bit differently? Like the grains in it or something? Yeah. Um, it's like, like I pay extra to have the wood graded according to weight, you know, per stick. But no matter what you do with wood, no two pieces are alike. And, and even like in a stick, we buy 36 or 48 inch sticks for the machines because I got two machines that, that run the bodies. And after that, everything's done pretty primitively. But even even with throughout that stick, it'll never be the same. So, uh, you know, all of our belly weights are, are all made out of the same kind of lead. They're all, they're all really consistent. But no matter what you do. And then I think that, uh, you know, like all these plastic baits, they come out of a mold and everyone's exactly the same. And. And, and, and even with those baits, no two of those run alike. If you notice, some will run different. Even I don't, I don't understand the physics behind that, even though they're made with bearings in them and a thing. But like the lip can be tilted a little in one of these or the other. You know, maybe the lip's tilted a little way and the bait's out of kilter. And the the best baits, I think, you know, most of my balsa baits, the way we build them, they hunt right and left. And I, I think that's a big deal. You know, they'll go over and bounce off a log and stuff if you're winding down. And maybe so that's basically because, when you say – right and left as it's retrieving through the water with the balsa bait. It's really yeah, very, yeah. I like that serpentine S motion yeah, while, yeah. It's, while it's kicking. Yeah. Very, very few of them run straight at you. I make a couple models that do. So, so, and, and you don't get that with plastic baits as much. I've not thrown many plastic baits that hunt like that. And then, and to be honest, uh, I think the best, this is going to sound dumb, but I've always felt like the best balsa baits are the ones that aren't perfect. You know, like if the lip slots cut a little crooked or it's leaning, those are the ones that are the best because what, what causes them to to hunt, I think, is it's just like a ballast on a battleship. You know, all these big cruise boats, they got ballast at the bottom. You know, if uh, the, the bait's hunting right and left because it's a little bit, uh, what's the right word? It's a little unstable. So it's trying to right itself all the time. So I think that what happens there is um, if that if that lip is off just a little well, then that bait's constantly trying to right itself and it kicks off and it's more erratic. And I think those are the best ones, but almost like a big flare as it's like trying to would the bait like roll up almost on its side as it's trying to crash. Oh, yeah, it absolutely. So yeah. Big side and, and the belly flashes up yeah. and stuff. And I got a charger in there in that room on my other computer. Could you get it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh I I've I've had guys call me and say my lips crooked, and I I gladly give them another bait, have them send it back, and I throw those. Yeah, you know, that they're, they're uh uh, it, it, and I don't mean it's like real crooked, you know, they're, it's not like they're junk, but those are the ones that are really like a one ones. degree variance. To the yeah. Yeah. Side. Two degrees off. You can yeah. see it a little when you look at the, and those are the ones that are good because they're constantly trying to write yourself. Yeah. As long as the, so basically what you're saying, as long as the belly weight is correct and you tune the bait properly, which we're going to get into here in a little bit on the episode. Oh yeah. Like you can tune that bait to swim almost correct, but it's going to give that wider kick action that. Exactly. Yeah. Lines. Yeah. Yeah. Like I could intensely glue the lip in there really crooked and you just bend the line tie right or left to, to make that. I mean, it, it's uh, I mean, you can tune, you can tune that right out of them. And those are, I feel like those are the ones that are the best, but a lot of guys don't. And I know I was talking to Rick Clun one time at a, at a show and he's like, dude, I love your baits. But he's like, I don't like the baits that hunt. And I'm like, what? And he's like, well, I number my baits A, B and C. And he's like, the C baits are the baits I practice with. Baits like yours that hunt right and left. And he was saying that uh, he feels like that when the fish are tracking the bait and the bait goes right and left, that that they'll miss that bait sometimes. So he picks the ones out that don't hunt for the tournament day. And he picks the ones that do hunt to find the fish because he feels like he gets more bites. And I don't know if you've ever had any of the pros tell you that. That's crazy. No, I have not, but that is, that is a wild In theory. Interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. Like, and here I am thinking like, when I fish a chatterbait, like we're going to get way off topic here for saying like uh -huh. with a chatterbait, I'm doing some of my rod tip in the way I'm reeling it to make it, do weird things right. in the water to trigger a strike. Like to me personally, I want something that hunts more because it's erratic. And you have to think about bay fish. If a bass is hunting down a bay fish and it's tracking it, that bay fish is darting left or right, trying to get away. Like yeah. that natural hunting motion, I think would trigger 
more bites, and I honestly believe that they probably get it better. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I had never heard that, but yeah. me and him alone sat and talked for like an hour, and it was the most interesting hour I've ever spent talking to anybody. And he had all these theories on cranks, and he's like, "Look, if they're erratic, they get much more bites, without a doubt." But he's like, "I always feel like I hook more outside the face if they're erratic." So, I, he said, "I actually put A, B, and C on the belly, and I and I use this the A baits for the tourney days and the B's and C's for the." So it's it's inter- it's interesting. So I, so I, I guess the reason I threw that in is because there's going to be guys that are going to watch this and they're not going to agree with that, and that maybe they have the same mindset as him, you know? Yeah. Well, well, we're on that topic. If you're tuned in on YouTube, leave a comment down below. Let's let's make it interesting, and then we can yeah. uh, start a direct conversation dialogue with Phil on mm-hmm. YouTube and see so he can see all of your opinions. I think that'd be yeah. something cool. Like, I mean, I'm always open for open discussion on that stuff because, you know, we're here. We love bass fishing and yeah, having more dialogue maybe helps answer questions people are afraid to ask or it just makes people think outside the box or different from what the average norm is and the way they think when they're fishing. And that's awesome. Like, yeah, yeah I, I want erratic. I want something that runs true while being erratic. So when exactly. I say true... I mean that it's stable. Like I want something that's uh-huh. stable while it's coming through the S so it doesn't blow out and roll and get tangled. Like I want it to come at me yeah. and fish. And if I give it a couple twitches and pause it, that that bait turns and then I can get it going again. That's even yeah. So yeah. I, I want to be a fellow in a laser lure, which Rick makes awesome flat uh, or balsa baits. And his actually are made not with a duplicator. They cut them with a bandsaw and shape them with fingernail files. And, uh, I had a flat bait of his. I want to BFL on it. And I like nursed that bait for like three years, that exact one bait. There was something about that one that was special. And I noticed that when I did it, I was looking at it one day from the front and the lip slot was perfectly level in the bait, but the lip was glued in a little crooked, but you could, you could tune that out. You know what I mean? And and that there was something about that one bait. And when I finally broke it in half, I about cried, you know what I mean? Cause I, I want a lot of money on that bait and, that, that so, once you get to a certain point, it's almost like, okay, I need to put this one on the shelf. I have I actually have um, an OSP deep diving crankbait that I've retired because just about all the paint has been blown off the sides of it. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, I can't throw this bait anymore. I will cry. When, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's amazing. And I, and I, I, I feel really, really lucky and really humble that I get to do what I do. I love my job. I love painting baits. I never come in here and think I, I get stressed because I'm behind on orders, but I, I, I love it. And I get to play yeah. and I constantly am playing with new stuff. And like, I, I'm working on a little bait here. Here's the body for it. And I, I want a, I want to make a medium runner, like a bait that, and this is a fairly. It almost looks like it has a rock crawler style body to it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What well, I didn't, I didn't intend to it, but that's yeah. kind of what it's shaped like. And uh, I want a medium running bait with a line tie in the lip that goes. Uh oh, I think we just lost Phil. His uh, computer may have died, so uh, we'll give it a second here, and hopefully he can get back in here quickly. But um, I think the point he's talking about with the line tie in there with the rock crawler style bait and a medium diving um, balsa bait is the fact that when you have a medium diving crankbait in general, like it is one of the harder baits to find, not just fine tune, but nowhere to fish it because you want to be popping it out of things. You want to keep it crawling along up. We, I think we got him back here. Give me a thumbs up. If you're ready to come back in, Phil. I don't know why I just took it off charge and brought it over here and it was fully charged, but we're on the phone. So are we good? You are good. Oh, I just wanted to make sure you're back. So yeah, uh, talking about the medium diving balsa crankbait here and the line tie is right where it cut out. Uh, I got it leaned up here. I got a computer guy here with me, my, my, my brother-in-law. So, yeah. yeah. But, no yeah, way. I wanted uh, – and, and anyway, what I was, as I have played and played and played with this, and I can't get it how I wanted. So I've been playing with it for months, and it would be easy to make a square bill or, some, or a shallow bait. But I'm not going to quit until I get something that – I want something I can throw that goes seven, eight foot deep without a great big giant profile, you know, and it tracks. I want to be able to burn it. And so I, I'm lucky that the funnest part about my job is I get to play all the time. You know, we cut stuff out, don't paint it, put belly weights, line ties in it, and uh, and mess around. And the guy that Josh has worked for me a long time, and he's Josh is like family. I couldn't do this without him. And uh, 
he's actually made a couple baits we we sold. He did them. He plays around. I don't even know he's playing around, and he'll he'll have something cool, and we'll throw it in the pool, and he'll be like, "God, oh, look how awesome this is!" So, it's, a lot of the good stuff is done by accident, or or I dream about it. I've had a couple baits that I had a dream at night, and I would get up and go straight out to the shop and draw it out and cut one out before I forgot. You know what I mean? So it's kind of kind of cool. Yeah, I just want to note in there when you're talking about dreaming, and I think this is somewhere that a lot of people miss in life, is if you have a dream that's a really good idea and it mm -hmm. wakes you up, write it down. Because in the morning when you're having your cup of coffee or doing whatever you do in the morning, you're going to be like, crap, what was that yeah. dream I had last night? And I know a yeah. couple of people that actually wake up in the middle of the night and write their dreams down so that they remember it and it... it like, I feel like a very successful person is somebody who takes advantage of these situations that we, mm -hmm. we like, not sublim. I don't even know what the word I'm thinking of, subconsciously think about while we're sleeping because that's what we're supposed to be doing. Like, yeah, we could take advantage of those situations. Something good happens, like starting a balsa bait company on a whim in the corner of your garage. With yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I've literally got uh, for years my, my, my building was on my property and I've got out of bed and thrown on a pair of shorts and run out there to the shop and start making them at two in the morning because I dream, I had just had these stupid dreams and, and I, I don't wanted to do it while I could remember it, why it was fresh, you know, and it's uh, I'm, I'm really a lucky guy. I'm not a good business person. I'm not ever going to get rich doing this, but I enjoy dealing with the guys and I enjoy making the baits. If it's something that you truly enjoy, you're already rich. Money doesn't. Yeah. Money doesn't buy happiness, but being rich with thought and enjoying what you do is mm -hmm. even more important, in my opinion. So that's mm -hmm. awesome. Now, kind of want to jump ahead here. First, I want to make a side note. I'm excited to see what happens with that medium diver because I know yeah. colleagues will absolutely love that thing. But uh -huh. two, you know, we're talking warming water. It's hot already, especially going through a mm -hmm. warming trend all over the Northeast and Indiana where you're at. What are some of the best balsa baits? Because, you know, a lot of people think about oh, balsa is just for the wintertime because of the way it floats and triggers strikes. But what are some of the best balsa baits to throw when the water is actually warming or already hot? Like you've seen guys like Greg Hackney do really well on square bills on Lake Dardanelle when the mm -hmm. water is like 82 degrees. Like so mm -hmm. kind of dive into that realm if you don't mind. Well, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I throw square bills and I, and I really am partial to the big fatter ones, you know, uh, our, our hunt and pee and our little hunter are kind of a hybrid. They're kind of a fat bait. And when I did the masters for the machine, I actually flattened off the sides. So they have a little bit of that flat bait flash, but they're still a hard wobbling round bait. But, uh, but the ones I really like are the flat are the real round aggressive ones like our P one. Uh, we, you and I were talking about that before we started. It's similar to the Norman bait you were talking about. Uh, like it's similar to the old original Bagley's, the B series. And I like the B2. And then, uh, I build one called a mag hunter, which is a flat bait, a three inch bait. And I catch a lot of fish on that. You know, uh, I think there's a lot of times in fish like those bigger baits, you know, they eat them gizzard shads. I mean, look at the whole glide bait fat guys are out there throwing 10 inch glide baits, but then a lot of people are scared to throw a three inch crank bait or like I, I have a plastic one here, but like a 4.0 Strike King. Yeah, yeah. When the water's warm, they're not afraid to eat big baits. No, no, not at all. But, you know, gr growing up, but but I say that, and like in the summer, the bulk of my cells are the the fat, aggressive square bills. In the winter, we just, we can't make skinny peas fast enough. It's a, it's a flat bait. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can see that when they're thin, they got a real tight wobble. But growing up on the Ohio River, um, uh, probably been more tourneys one cranking on the Ohio river on uh, the flat baits, like the old wee baits and Wes has died now. I mean, he, he was a, he, uh, he built, built an awesome bait and they're really handmade primitive just, but they catch the crap out of them. And there's so many of those tourneys down there that are one in the summer months on a flat bait still like you would throw in the winter. And, and, and maybe that's because of fishing pressure. Maybe the fish see so many of them aggressive, you know, square bills that those flat baits, you know, they don't see them as much. They see them when it's cold and when the water gets 55, everybody transitions over. So maybe there's just no hard and fast rules in fishing, you know? Yeah. So with a flat bait though, like, you know, you can basically throw any style of bill in it. You could have like a circular bill, you mm -hmm. can round it out wide. Mm -hmm. You can put a square bill in it. Like you see mm -hmm. in some of the plastic ones. Like yeah. 
what with the bill, like how does that change the action of the bait? And maybe like if you have more of like a rounded spoon bill type on a flat side, is that something that really like hunts harder and is a better warm water bait? Like is the bill what makes up making that bait better in the warm water or is it just something that I'm thinking about just completely in my mind? Right. I, now? I think it's uh, I think it's a combination of both, you know, nor actually, you know, I mean, obviously square bills kick off harder and they do come through wood better than any of the round bills. Even a big round bill just doesn't come through wood like a square bill. And a lot of it's got to do with the lip angle. You know, you can change the lip angle two degrees and you would be shocked how much difference it makes in the action or how it comes through cover. And then, uh, like with the square bills, you could put them in the lip right against in, against the face of the bait, or you can put them out of the front. We build them both ways, but just moving that line tie up and down a sixteenth of an inch can make a huge difference. I mean, uh, when, anytime we design a new bait, I might make twenty five out of that body before we get it how we want it. You know, so but but in the summer, I definitely like the square the square bills unless I'm throwing a deep bait. But I, but I do normally uh, in the box year round. I have a flat bait that's subtle tied on just for when they're getting pressured, or you have high skies maybe, you know. And and I like a lot of the foiled finish baits, like the the flat baits that I throw in the summer, or usually have a foil finish on them. Maybe that's just in my head, but I know I sell a tremendous amount of foiled finish baits. So there's a lot of people that believe the same as I do, you know. Okay, so now here I I apologize. I just saw another question here right off the cuff, but you know, no. When people throw jerk baits, let's throw jerk baits in the equation. You know, you want bright colors like a white or an opaque color or a matte mm -hmm. color when it's cloudy, and when it's sunny, you want something that's see through or foiled. Is that something that you see with balsas as well? Like if it's clear, sunny, you might want to throw a foiled bait, and then if it's cloudy, then you'd stick to your brighter colors that pop like an opaque white or a bone. Yeah, yeah, I, and uh, and watercolor is a big is a big thing, you know. Uh, like, like the bulk of my square bill sells, obviously in the spring, it's everything red. I mean, a, 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 even through the first part of the square bill season, you can't make enough red baits, anything with red, orange on it. But in, but all through the summer months, honestly, uh, and, and if I think about all the baits that I've sold to Elite Series and MLF Pros, FLW guys, uh, the best seller by far is chartreuse and black all summer. Just old school chartreuse and black with an orange belly. And then a lot of them will call me and they'll say, I just want something white. So white with a black, you know, like pearl with a black back and a little orange or like my second biggest selling color is called something special. It's pearl white with a black back, has a little chartreuse and orange on the throat and a little silver glitter. That's probably my second biggest seller. And actually, it's a it's a huge flatbait seller, too. And then I've got a color called money. And I don't even remember how this come about. It's just a silver foiled bait has a chartreuse and orange belly and it has this funky, ugly green back. It's like a light green pearly looking color and i honestly don't remember it's something lowen and i were playing around with one time when we had paint in the gun and it's in my it's probably in my top three all-time best sellers and all of my anything that i build that you that color mine through the water quote unquote money like that's what it is that's what we called it that yeah, yeah it's but, kind of like it sounds like it's a foiled mismatch of like a tennessee shad Maybe yeah. oil back with like a perch belly, so it kind of covers. Yeah, and I don't have one laying. Yeah, I don't have one here handy. I do have a something special laying here, and uh, so it's just uh, it looks purpley on mine in the light, yeah. but it's just a black back and just simple. And that, that's one thing I've noticed, like with the with the pros. I don't know if you want to if if this is pertinent or not, but I noticed like uh, you've heard that whole adage: you got to catch fishermen, not fish, so much. Yeah. And that's true to an extent because. If I take the time and paint some really cool, pretty color, like I just did, like I'm getting ready to do this, and, and this will catch them, but this is a pumpkin seed color that I just was playing around with this last week. I posted it, and guys went crazy about it, but I noticed when I sell to, like, guys who make a living fishing around the country, all they want is something shad colored, something white, something chartreuse for dirty water, and something red in the spring. I mean, most of those guys keep it really, really simple, I've noticed. Yeah, you should. You would love my crankbait box. It's literally bluegill, shad, and black and chartreuse, or blue and chartreuse. Like yeah, the four colors, and then some craws mixed in for deeper divers. But extremely, extremely simple. Because I feel yeah. like if you match your crankbait to the bait fish that the fish are eating, and then you can add yeah. in the the color conditions that you have. So is it cloudy, uh -huh. or sunny out? You're going to be able to get a lot more bites because 
you can move through a color of a crankbait. So let's take a crawfish, for example. In my opinion, you can have two different color crankbaits in crop pattern, but if you have one for bright color conditions, bright sun, high skies, and you have one for cloudy days, you just uh -huh. have to know which one to throw when, and you're still going to get bit on it. And that's yeah, just yeah. Like this, this color here, if you can see it, uh, guy, uh, the older guys will know what it is. It's just the old gray ghost that Bagley's used to make. Say it looks like I, a lavender uh, shed to me. So yeah, we'll see. It's actually a gray with gold glimmer shot over it. It's just a play of light here, I guess. But Lee Sisson is a really good friend of mine. And if you know the name Lee, he's a legend in the balsa industry. And uh, I actually bought Lee out when he went out of business, bought his duplicating machines. And he comes and deer hunts with me. He's a, I've learned so much from that guy. He's just a, he's just a ball of knowledge. And he said, even back when he worked for Bagley's for all those years, it was a chartreuse and black and a pearl white black back. And then this gray ghost was always by far the best sellers year in and year out. And I think, uh, but you got to make those pretty colors and you got to add stuff every year to keep the cells going. And I mean, there's no sense in acting like that doesn't happen because it does. I mean, you, everyone wants to sell baits. and But I think we put more into it than the fish. Maybe you think that I don't think they're as picky as we are sometimes. Because I mean, and the best way to go about that, and this is like a fantastic serious angler show is like why we shouldn't be so picky about baits because literally uh -huh. you can go to a weigh-in and if you ask if you look at every deck of every angler that fishes everybody will have something different on because they're fishing their confidence and what they want to throw exactly yeah and that just tells you right there that the fish don't care you just have to present it properly enough yeah they might want green pumpkin over black and blue one day but they don't care about that tiny little purple flake that you have in one of your baits in my opinion mm -hmm. yeah so just Fish whatever you have your confidence in, especially crankbaits, and don't be afraid to throw a balsa bait because they do get yeah. it. But I do yeah. have another question for you here. We kind of yeah. already went through the difference between a round and a flat-sided crankbait and their actions, but I'm sure you take calls all the time about, like, some misconceptions about these baits. So, like, what is a common one that you get or a couple common misconceptions that you get on a regular basis from people calling or emailing in about the crankbaits that you produce? Well, one thing that one thing I'll say is that I tell guys a lot who haven't who, who haven't thrown them or maybe they haven't cranked or haven't fished a lot is, you know, the square bill baits, they all come through trees really, really good. But no matter what you do with a flat bait, with those rounded lips, like none of the flat baits come through cover very well. So I did my I did my bait called a flat P 12 years ago and Lowen had a lot to do with designing that and we put a bigger round bill in it and it's a shallow bait line tie in the nose and now uh like strike king has one really similar called the chick magnet those come through wood better than most of the other flat bills or flat baits i think because for once they're half inch wide baits they're a little more buoyant and the and the rounded bills a little little better but none of them none of them come through cover very well and and i know maybe that's not what you were asking uh as as far as misconceptions, maybe, uh, boy, that's kind of a... It's kind of a convoluted question. So I guess, uh, like, I, a misconception would be great with the flat side because people might think because it's balsa that it does go through cover well, but you also have to have the proper lip design that goes with it. So pay attention to what flat side you're buying. With exactly. Yeah. And also know how fast that bait floats or if you do any modifications to it like putting a different treble hook on a size up it might suspend mm -hmm. a little bit more and rise slower or if you add suspend dots it might sink like be very cognizant and mindful of what you're doing to these baits. yeah and you and you're spot on there and that's one thing that uh like like uh when i throw a square bow i throw it right in the wood where you throw a spinner bait or flip a jig and i wind it out and i bump it into the stuff you know guy i see guys like being all finesse in or because they're worried about paying a lot of money for a bait and they don't want to get hung up i the more you crash them into stuff i'm convinced the more bites you get but if but like in the in the early in the year when the water's in the 40s or low 50s and we're all throwing flat baits around here and almost everybody is when i throw a flat bait in a in a treetop that's one time when i feel a lend coming i might stop right before i hit it you know if you pay attention you'll know and let it kind of come up and over it because uh they're not going to come through the woods so good and then I think what I think a big I think a big thing that guys don't think about and and I don't I'm not trying to act like it's I don't I don't want this to sound like I'm a know-it-all I know everything about crankbaits because I don't but one thing that I, I hear when guys call me 
a big question I get is guys will call me and they'll say like, what rod do you use with this bait or what line do you use? And I think people don't, uh, a lot, and, and I do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause, because just going from mono to fluorocarbon can be huge when you're cranking, you know what I mean? Or, um, like the, the size line, like, uh, I did really good an attorney down at Douglas four years ago in the fall. And I was still in my big three inch square bill and the lake had come up like four feet, like in a couple of days and got dirty. And, and, and I wasn't catching them and the bait was going too deep. So I sat down and put it on a rod with 20 pound mono and, and, and it, it made all the difference in the world. I ended up doing really good. We made a video after the event. We went out that the next day, made a video, got some nice fist catches and, that 20 pound mono kept that bait from digging into the bottom so bad. Just, you know what I mean? And just like the, like the angle of the rod is huge. You know, most everybody points their rod down when they're cranking and I do too. But if I throw it up in a tree, say I'm throwing, if you're throwing a bait that goes five foot deep and you're fishing on two foot flats, you can still do that. Just put heavy mono on there and hold your rod up in the air. It just, it makes such a big difference. Like I've been lucky. I've always had an in-ground pool until the last year or so. And, it's amazing how much you, you play in that pool, how much you can learn about baits, you know, and not even balsa baits. It's like Lowen and I one time wanted to know what shaky head style worms float up. Hardly none of them do. Did you know that? I mean, you yeah. put them in a jig head, they fall over. You, you mm -hmm. learn that. And then we've went so far. You're going to think this is stupid. I know exactly what a balsa bait sounds like when it comes by my head underwater. And I know exactly what a uh kvd 1.5 sounds like and maybe that's part of the mystique of balsa because even though like i make base with rattles i don't like to make them with rattles but i do make some models but all of those baits are actually pretty noisy when they come through the water if you have someone real one by your head underwater you'll notice that you can really hear you know like it's like you can hear the hooks and the split ring rattling when they go by but when the balsa baits go by because of the kind of paints and they, and their wood, they're solid instead of hollow, they have a totally different sound than those other baits. And I don't know if that's stuff people are interested in, but uh, mm. it, it's, it's, it's a world of difference in, in how they sound. And even like a spinner bait, like I noticed this is going to sound silly. So it's going to sound like they were a bunch of whack jobs, but I know what a willy spinner bait sounds like coming through the water compared to like a Colorado bladed spinner bait. And I think people, if they played and did that stuff, they'd be shocked at what they could learn. Mm, yeah, I, I agree. Um, <laughs> just experimenting and creating knowledge is like ultimate power for a fisherman. Like it's crazy. Just in every technique, it's there's all these little nuances that we don't even think about. Uh -huh. to get more bites and to understand like to have the total immersion in your bait and to understand every little aspect of it, mm -hmm. how it flickers off that one piece of milfoil sticking up and how to move your maneuver your rod to pop that bait. A lot of people just pop, but it, sometimes there's mm -hmm. just the tiniest little thing that you can do and you get a bite. And once you yeah. figure out and you pay attention, it, it clues you into getting way more bites. And I think that's one thing as anglers that we can all do is be more in tune of what's going on rather than just chuck and winding because when people think of crankbait fishing a lot of times they just chuck and wind and there's so many more nuances to it than that but yeah i do want to dive into you're talking about 20 pound mono i want to dive into your best setup for throwing these crankbaits because i think that's an important thing for people to know because balsa is a little bit lighter it's, it doesn't have the crazy weighting systems in it like plastic uh -huh. crankbaits do and they're a little bit more of a pain in the butt to throw if, if people that have thrown them know. So kind of dive right into your setup here, Phil. Yeah, um, that's a question I get a lot, especially on the flat baits, because guys will say, oh, they, you've heard the potato chip thing. The balsa ones are kind of hard to throw. So uh, and, and obviously I use power rods I have for, for a long, long time. Uh, the model that I use for my flat baits and, and any 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 rod along this line will work is I use a pretty soft rod. It has a real parabolic bend, kind of similar to the rod company that you were showing me before we started. Uh, mine are really soft. You probably most guys would probably be surprised They're I, I throw the power max series and I don't know what the number is. I think the rod's seven or seven two and it's a composite rod. Really like when you hook a fish and and like all those flat sides have those little hooks just like the fritz side you said comes with little hooks and then big fish when they pull underneath a lot of times they swat them when the water is cold you know how they'll tear off under the boat well if guys will use these parabolic bend rods and real soft ones that that don't happen much and and also those softer rods are much easier to throw those flat baits so 
I just use a lose. I don't know what the model number is. I use a lose five to one reel. And normally when I throw a flat bait in the spring, I throw 10 pound fluorocarbon. Most of the time I throw gamma edge fluorocarbon and uh, the rods are really soft. I don't lose, I don't use very, I don't lose very many fish at all on a flat bait. And I fish with guys who lose them all the time because the rods that they're using are more like a spinnerbait rod seems to me like, but when I go to a square bill in the summer, I, I throw fluorocarbon and I throw mono. It just depends on what I'm doing. But I, I normally am throwing a square bill with 15 to 20. I don't think it has nothing to do with getting a bite when you're winding it through cover. Or I'm usually throwing a square bill when the water has a little color to it. Uh, and, I, and I'm using whatever pound test I want, depending on how deep it is or how thick the wood is. And then I throw a pow. I think it's a CB725. It's like a 7.2 medium heavy, but it's a crankbait medium heavy. And it has a little less parabolic bend. It has a lot of tips, so you can make roll casts like spinnerbait fishing and stuff, but it still has the power to get those fish out. And then another thing that I do is I sell my baits with VMC hooks. They're really good hooks, but a lot of, like the hunting pee, I sell with number fours. But when I throw a hunting pee myself, I, I, th I throw that, uh, what's that KVD trouble, the short shank, wide. Oh, the triple grip. Yeah, but I throw the short, wide one. You know what I mean? It's a short yeah. shank. Mark. I put a number two on there. You'll get hung up a little more, but the, 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 the percentage of lost fish goes way down. So I would tell guys, don't be afraid to change out and put bigger hooks. You know, it's like uh, it's like the, the skinny pea comes with number sixes, but you, you could put short fours or even full length fours. You'll get hung up a little more, but you can actually make the bait suspend if you play. It's like, you, I, I know you probably throw a shad wrap a lot. You know, a number five shad wrap is as good as you can buy about in the spring. Yeah. And uh, when I throw a number five shad wrap, I usually put number fours on it. And, and most of them, if you put number fours on them and you throw like 10 pound fluorocarbon, they'll actually kind of suspend when you stop them. So mm. one thing I would tell people, just because that's how I sell it or someone else sells it, doesn't mean that's how you have to throw it. Play around and change and experiment. Guys will be surprised how much they learn. Absolutely. And, and even steering the bait with the rod. I know I interrupted you, but like no, you're when you're fishing in laydowns, you can, if you don't want to get hung, you can just steer, you can still wind it, just steer it with your rod tip. You can steer yeah. it right around stuff, you know, even though I like to bump into stuff, but if you don't want to, just use your rod tip. You can steer the bait two feet any direction you want easily. Yeah, you're giving out all the golden nuggets, Phil. Well, <laughs> I, I hope I'm not be I hope I'm not boring. You know, no, I mean, I just, I play with them so much, you know, and I got, and I got all these ideas that go through my head and I've had guys say, man, you guys are really weird getting in a pool winding baits by your head, but gosh, man, it's, it's so cool to hear the difference. Oh, just like pool is awesome. Like you can test out every bait, not just mm -hmm. bait, and you can learn so much from doing that. But yeah, I do want to ask you one of the final two questions here to start wrapping up the show. And um, the one thing that, I think it's very prudent for a lot of people to know here is just simply like, how do you tune a crankbait? And I think this can be applied to any single crankbait. Like what are your oh, basic yeah. steps to understand on how to tune a bait and how to go about it correctly so that you don't over tune it and make your bait blow out and do all kinds of things and make it incorrect. Right. Right. I've, I've got one here. I'll use this one without hooks and, and uh this is all backwards we had this we dealt with this before yeah. yeah you can see the line tie come out there so if you throw any crankbait it doesn't matter if it comes out of the bill you're just going to bend it you're still going to do the same thing you're just going to bend it a little you know it, you'll be bending it sideways instead of back and forth is if it if it runs to the right you take the line tie with a pair of needle nose and it's going to be hard to show it like this but you bend it just a tiny bit and here's the thing that guys do is they'll tend to bend it too much so you just barely tweak it, almost like you're just putting pressure. And and you just you don't have to throw it far. Throw it four or five feet, wind it in if it still runs to the right, bend it just a little bit to the left and just keep tweaking it. And if you get it so it goes the other way, then you know you went too far. And 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 and, and it doesn't take very much at all. And what you're actually doing is you're centering the line tie in the lip, basically, when when you do that. You're or you're making up for inconsistencies in the lip angle, but it's real easy. It's it's one of the most common things I get asked, and I've done lots of. Uh, I think I got a couple of videos on my YouTube channel, PH Custom Lures, that show it a little more in depth. But they're, they're real easy. Uh, you you can't hurt them if you go too far. Just go back the other way, and like under docks and stuff, you know, you can actually tune them so they'll run underneath a the dock. 
You just got to have two rods, one for each side to dock, I guess. Oh, just like they do with buzz baits. <laughs> and just real quick, yeah. so everybody knows too, in the description of this show, that YouTube page will be linked so you can get over there and check out PH Custom Lures on YouTube and see yeah, all thank the you. content that they have there. Absolutely. So, Phil, thanks for joining us here. And I do have one final question for you as we talked about our the Lure Lab works with Do It Molds and we asked for a customization tip and all this other stuff that they do. They make all kinds of cool stuff to make your own tackle, paint up baits mm -hmm. if you want. You can buy some balsa baits if you want in your own garage. Start with a little dream and mm -hmm. paint them up and see what happens. And but and they have all the paint that you can do that for. But the question is, what is a good tip you can give someone who is looking to get more out of their crankbait? Oh, I would say uh, probably be careful the colors you pick. I don't think you have to have, you know, I make, we got hundreds of SKUs, lots of models. I think you don't have to buy them all. You don't have to have every model we make. They're all situational baits. They're like tools. And you don't have to have all the colors. Just pick the ones that you like. Make sure that you got something bright for dirty water and cloudy days and make sure you got something white. And then and then I, I would say that a, a big thing for me is like, like, like I said, well, I go changing out those hooks. Like, you know, if it, if you want your bait to suspend, you know, everybody throws suspended jerk baits. Well, crankbaits will do it, too. You can change your hooks or add suspend dots or things like that to it, you know. And, and I think that'll keep you from having to buy so many models. And then, uh, you know, take care of them. You know, try not to. And it doesn't matter if you're throwing a plastic bait. I mean, I broke the lips out of lots and lots of Vision 110s. And that's the that's the 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 the, the jerk bait that I throw the most in the winter. But you know what? I wouldn't break the lips out of them if I didn't throw them up on the rocks or throw them in the docks and stuff so much. So I think you give $20, $25 for a handmade bait. I mean, I guess I sell more baits if you break them, but I, th I look at them more like they're like works of art or they're like something to take care of, you know? So yeah. use them. But even though I make them, I use them, but I try to take care of them. You know what I mean? And I don't put them back like guys will put them back in the box wet. And next thing you know, they got a whole box full of square bills and all the hooks are rusted. Dry them off for you. Put them in there. Save you a bunch of money over the course Hang of the year. Somewhere so they can dry. Yeah. Yeah. Them. Yeah, exactly. Don't step on them in the boat. You know what I mean? And, and like, uh, uh, definitely don't slap balsa baits on the water to get the grass off the flat baits. You can actually break them in half. You know, balsa is soft. A lot of people that haven't seen it, you'd be shocked. You can push your fingers in it before the bait's built so and leave dents in it. And that's what makes it special, so buoyant. So don't don't knock, don't slap the leaves and the grass off. Grab it with your hand and take them off. And I know it's a pain, but they'll last three take times a, a second longer to rip the grass as opposed yeah, to yeah, yeah. Ninety yeah, percent of the time when you slap the water, anyways, it doesn't come off on the first try, and you're doing it eight, nine times over, and it would have been quicker just to pull it off. Yeah, and, and yeah, and you know they're all they're all more brittle in cold water too. I mean, like the Mega Bass dirt baits, and I'm not knocking them all; I love them. But if you notice, like you break more of the lips when the water's cold than when it's warm. I think everything's just more brittle when it's cold. It's a great point. So I know we went over. I'm sorry. I, I could talk about balsa. I'll talk about oh, balsa baits. Hey, okay. What we'll have to do is we'll have to just get you on again. And maybe talk about balsa topwater baits because there's all kinds of cool ones that work all over the country. And I think that would be something that maybe we can do over the summertime because I would love yeah. to dive in and talk about some of the topwater balsa options that there are out there that are completely overlooked by a lot of anglers outside of the immediate southeast, especially Florida. Yeah. So, and that's what we're building now. We're buried. I build the prop baits and then I build two minnow wake baits. I build the old Buckeye wake up because now that they don't have it, you know, I, I actually got that from them, got the rights to it from them. And that's what we're selling now the most is, is top waters because of the bluegill spawn prop baits. And then a lot of shad spawns going on. And yeah. these guys in the mountain lakes, throw those, they throw those wake baits at night and catch those, they catch bass, walleye, stripers on them. So there's a lot more to balsa than just cranks. 100%. So, well, Phil, I want to say thank you for taking the time and joining us. I, I feel like I, I, I may have interrupted your fishing plans today, so I apologize on that. But <laughs> It's fine. But, but thank you so much for joining us here on the Lure Lab, and uh, I'm sure we will be talking plenty soon enough. Yeah, I think it's cool what you do, that you talk about baits and techniques and yeah. stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you. It's, um, yeah. it's a very exciting project that we uh, worked on and got it launched, and we love doing it. And I'm the tackle – they call me the tackle tinker over here because I'm always messing with stuff, and looking at baits and be like, now nah, that won't work. Now nah, this works. And 
it's um it's almost like a hidden passion of mine i just love it i you can't see it here but this bin back here is just full of stuff that i've just messed yeah. around with so yeah i'm like yeah i don't like this i like that and cut stuff up see what i can do and yeah yeah I would encourage everybody to go fish with you because people like, especially below where I live, if they've never experienced the smallmouth fishing on like the Finger Lakes or on the Great Lakes, they have no idea what they're missing out on. Oh, it's fun. It, it's better than the fishing anywhere in the South. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, it's it's better fishing. You catch, what what would you say a normal day on your trip is, 50 to 100 smallies? Yeah, so this time of year, like an average day, on a really good day, if you hit it prime, is 50 to 100 smallmouth, like... Right now, because we're in a spawn funk, it's like 25 mm -hmm. to 40 fish and some exceptional days. And I truly, truly try not to target fish when they're on bed because I want mm -hmm. them to do their things and protect their right. eggs. So I specifically try to target out pre- and post-spawn fish. But um, a lot of times we catch spawners on accident as well because we're doing techniques that are going to be around right. them. And we're just intercepting the other fish. But yeah, and then come summertime, it gets a little tougher, five to 15 fish in the middle of summer out on the Great Lakes. But that's when we go largemouth fishing, have some excellent days. And then other days we catch five to eight fish. It just, it's fishing. And then in the fall time, if you hit it right, you can catch 150, 200 smallmouth in a day. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, Everybody it should experience that once if they like to fish. And, and it's not even just like how many fish we're catching. It's the overall size. This spring... But I think I've been averaging around four and a quarter for per fish, which is just mm -hmm. world class. Like you go to Florida and you try to catch an eight pounder and you're going to catch a lot of one pounders and people don't yeah. realize that. And then you come up here and every time you swing the bat, it's four and you're like, yeah. You're, and I'm sitting here tossing them back and I'm like, oh, that's a small one and it's four and a half. And I'm like, man, I got to think yeah. about this for a second because this is the biggest smallie some of these people have ever seen in their lives. And, and, like, and literally, an average fish. <laughs> at the end of the day, their wrist hurts from fishing yeah. with those spinning rods, holding yeah. them, and they swell up. And yeah. I tell people that all the time from down south, and they're like, no way. And I'm like, hey, you will get so sore in a good way that you can't, you, you have to start throwing a bait caster sometimes. Yeah. One of my favorites was uh, I think I had like a three day trip two years ago. One of my first year, my second year guiding, the guy at like halfway through the third day was like, all right, can we just go get lunch? Because my arms are on fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. do it. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to come hang out with you a day. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll be in touch. And uh, I want to say thank you again, Phil. And if there's thank anything you. that you need, let us know and we will chat soon, my friend. All right. Thank All you. Right. I appreciate it. You have a good one, Phil. You too. All right. Well, thanks everyone who tuned in and stayed here for this super long episode. We normally stay around the half hour mark, but I do love getting guys on who are so excited to talk about specific things and 50 minute episode here on the lab. It's happened before. We're not mad about it. We love it. So thank you for staying in. If you're still here at this point, if you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, leave a comment down below. I asked you to in the middle of the show. So I hope you already did and hit that thumbs up button. We appreciate it. If you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please hit that review button. It helps this podcast be seen to more bass fishermen like you and I alike. And be on the lookout for next week's episode, and we will see you next Saturday.